Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 10 of the Mindfulness Movement and Exercise podcast. Today, we are going to talk about motor skill acquisition. But first, let's quickly recap what we did last time. Last time, I gave you the story of the person who recently set the Rubik's Cube speed record and Simone Biles, who recently won her sixth U.S. all-around, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was the correct number. And her recent comeback. I use those two stories to talk about learning and how optimizing arousal can really optimize performance. Today, we're going to take some of these concepts a step further. But before we do, I want you just to find your collarbone. So come into a comfortable seated position probably for this. And once you find your collarbone, I'm going to do my left collarbone with my right hand. You're going to take your second and third fingers and you're just going to tap it. Once you've tapped the collarbone, maybe tap right underneath it and trace it all the way out to where it meets your shoulder. Just go back and forth a few times, center of the chest. Now, use your hand and just tap all the way down that arm, back up, back to your collarbone, back to the center of your chest. Tap down the arm, back up to the collarbone, back to your chest. Maybe do that one more time. Now go ahead and pause. Take a moment to feel the side that you just tapped. Compare that to the side that you did not tap. Do the two sides feel a little different? They might. The side that I was tapping feels more alive. It feels lighter. And like it's more responsive. The side that I didn't tap feels a little less connected to me. Your experience may very well be different. There's no right or wrong here. But if you did experience a change or a difference between the two sides, why? What causes that? Tapping does a variety of things. It connects the mind to the body, to the specific body part that you are touching via touch. Remember, touch is a sensory input, and our body, our brain, responds to that input. The tapping creates vibration. Vibration is super cool, and it occurs at a cellular level. It indicates health of the system. There was actually a paper that I found that was published in 2008, I think, and it looked at research that's being done on cellular vib vibration and malaria at the Monterey Institute of Technology, or Monterey, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. And the researchers were, have found that cells, red blood cells that have malaria, they don't vibrate with the same frequency as healthy cells. They're stiffer. So vibration is symbolic of health, energy, and life in a way. One of my 
favorite meditation exercises we'll do next time, but it involves vibration. All right, so let's move on to today and what we're talking about today. We're talking about skill development. How does skill development happen? And what are some of the things that go into skill development? But before we get into that, what are you trying to, when you, when you decide you're going to start working on a goal, on a skill, excuse me, what is, what are you trying to accomplish? You're trying to improve your accuracy of performing that skill. I'll give you a couple of examples. If you follow, if you're following the lead up to the Olympics at all, there is a U.S. sprinter named Shakari Richardson, and her 100 meter times the season are 10.75, 10 10.7, 10.9, 10.71, 10.76, 10.97, and 10.65. 10.65 is her personal best. She is one of she is one of the fastest women ever, which is very impressive. She's 23 years old. Now, what I want you to notice about those times, I know I read off a lot of them. If we throw out the 10.9 times, there were two 10.9 times. The rest of the times, there are one, two, three, four, five, were between 10.65 and 10.76. For those of you wondering what these times represent, they're seconds of how long it takes her to perform a 100-meter dash. So she's her fastest time. She ran 100 meters in 10.65 seconds. Most of her times are pretty consistent, hovering, again, between 10.71 and 10.76. So there's four one-hundredths of a second of variation within, most, within the bulk of her times. She's become a very accurate 100 meter runner. Now, I'll give you another example that might be a little more applicable if you're learning some sort of skill in your movement practice. I'm working on this particular skill in pole called the football grip Aisha. And Aisha is like a straddle handstand, except you're holding onto the pole in a variety of different ways. And a football grip is weird. Your elbows are bent. You have one hand on one side of the pole, one hand on the other side of the pole. It requires, it's a very different sensation than I'm used to, but it requires some of the same elements that I've already practiced while learning other types of Aisha, Aisha's. My consistency with this skill is very poor. My accuracy with this skill is very poor. I'm just getting to the point where I can most of the time take my legs off the pole into a straddle, but not all the time. And I can only hold it for a second. I can't hold it for very long. So... Unlike Shakari Richardson, who is performing at the top of her field, I have a long way to go before I achieve any sort of mastery in this skill. But the underlying psychology and neuroscience behind the learning process is still the same, which how cool is that? 
what determines success? Again, did you perform, did you do the thing that you set out to do? For Shakari Richardson, did she run the 100 meters faster than the other people that were lined up with her? For me, was I able to take my legs off the pole into a straddle and hold it? Again, very different determinants of success. Are you consistently successful? So we look at even somebody performing at a high level. Richardson had two outliers. She had a 10.9 and a 10.97 this season. These are much slower than her other times. Maybe she wasn't running an all-out effort. Maybe she knew that she didn't need to run her fastest in those particular races. Or maybe she had an off day. I don't know. For me, my right now, my goal is simply to get into the position of being able to take my legs off the pole consistently and in an efficient way each time. So what my determinant of success, again, is very different than Richardson's. Both of us are aware of what we are trying to do, however. That part is clear. I know I gave you definitions of learning last time, but I have yet another definition of learning because this is what happens when you read a lot of this type of research. You get lots of, lots of interpretations of words. But I liked this. This comes from a paper that was a 2016 paper in the Journal of Physical Therapy Science. And what the author said is that learning can be defined as any relatively permanent change in behavior or a person's ability to perform a skill that must be inferred from a relatively permanent improvement in performance, which occurs as a result of practice or experience. Let's break this down a little bit. To learn means to make a change. So, if we look at Richardson, at some point she learned she could consistently run a under 11 seconds. That was the change. If you know anything about running, you know that running is definitely based on your physical capabilities, but it's also largely baited, largely predicated on what's going on in your brain. So you've got two things that you're working with in order to make a consistent result occur. Learning that you can do something, and this happened with the four-minute mile. When Richard Bannister ran the mile in under four minutes, something people thought could never be done, suddenly, within the next five years, other people ran the mile in under four minutes. It was, oh, this can actually, this can actually, I could actually possibly do this. When you look at somebody again, like me, who's not anywhere near at an elite level of anything, once I realized, oh, 
I can actually get into this arm position and slide my hips back. That became the step that I needed in order to begin working on the next step. And this is consistent with what you see in any sort of movement or fitness setting with just general population. Often there is a thing. There's a step that needs to be taken in order to get to where the person wants to go with whatever the skill is. Even with something like a pull-up, which you might think, oh, that's a pretty standard skill. There's not much that has to happen there, except that there is. The person has to be able to hold on to the bar. That's step one. Once the person can hold on to the bar, then the person can think about doing something on the bar. The doing something on the bar might start with shrugging the shoulders up and down. As the person shrugs the shoulders up and down, maybe the person starts to understand how shrugging the shoulders down allows them to start to pull the hands down towards the floor. This continues as the strength builds, because again, when you're looking at a skill like a pull-up, you need a foundational level of grip strength in order to even think about doing the thing. So once the person's got that, then they need to understand how to pull their body up to the bar and lower their body down. There's a number of ways you can play with this, but one of my favorites is to simply jump up until you're over the bar and then lower yourself down. So you can start to understand the action. We're gonna talk about all of this a little bit deeper in just a second. There needs to be some form of feedback in order for learning to occur. The first time Richardson saw that she had run under 11 seconds, you almost always wonder yourself, you're like, okay, I did it once, I can do it again. But when am I gonna be able to do it again? You might not do it again right away. So the possibility of the thing is there, but the actuality, the accuracy isn't there until some time passes. And then this unusual occurrence of running under 11 seconds becomes more common until it just is. You know you're going to, she knows that she's going to run under 11 seconds unless something's really not going well. For me, when I was learning this football grip Aisha situation, the very first step to this was learning how to lower my legs and get my arms in the position. This was inconsistent for a while. I had to practice it for a couple of weeks before until it went, oh, and it clicked. I was like, this is how I do it. Then slowly, it started to become that part became commonplace. I could do that relatively easily. Now I'm to the point where I can get my feet off the bar sometimes. This too will continue to become more common, but I'm clear with what my result, what my knowledge of results is. With the person that's trying to do a pull-up, step one is holding the bar. They're clear, can I hold the bar or can I not? So this feedback of 
did I accomplish the task that I set out to do is actually really important. Because otherwise, what are you trying to accomplish? During motor learning, there's a, two different types of feedback that you get. You get this intrinsic feedback, which is sensory feedback. And it's this sensory perceptual feedback that is a natural part of learning a skill. When Richardson first began running fast, she probably was able to ascertain what it felt like to run fast versus what it felt like to run slow. And if she was running slowly, I'm guessing she was able to figure out what that felt like and how that contrasted to how she moved when she was moving fast. If we look at, again, the football group Aisha, I can feel when I'm not in a good position with my arms. I can feel when I'm not going to have the support that I want in order to take my legs out. So it's all happening on an internal level. The input that I have is determining the next output that I do, the next movement that I do. The person learning the pull-up can feel internally if they have a grip on the bar that's going to allow them to do anything else, or if they can start to move their shoulders down and up, or if moving their shoulders down and up is giving them more sensory feedback of the hands against the bar. The next type of feedback, so we had that intrinsic feedback, which is the sensory feedback, that's this internal feedback. The next type of feedback is, an, is augmented feedback. And there's two branches of augmented feedback. Augmented means to make greater, larger, or more complete. So feedback that is augmented enhances the experience in some way. This intrinsic feedback that I talked about, that's where you can give yours, that's where you can start to find a lot of self-doubt. Oh, I can't do that because it feels this way. Or, oh, this will never feel any different, so I should give up this task. Augmented feedback is a little more clear. There's, Like I said, there's two branches. There's knowledge of results. Did you accomplish the thing that you set out to do? And there's knowledge of process slash knowledge of performance. These two terms are often used pretty interchangeably. And that means, did you achieve the task in a way that you wanted to achieve it? Let's break these down. What does this mean? Knowledge of results is pretty simple. Did Richardson run under 10-8? Which is where she's hanging out this season. Was I able to take my legs off the bar in the Aisha football, football grip, off the pool in the Aisha football, football grip? Was the person able to pull their body up over the bar in a pull-up? Simple yes or no answers. And if the answer is no, the brain is super smart. You'll try again 
and you'll strategize a little bit differently in order to try and accomplish the task. It requires a lot of focused attention. You have this task that you want to do, and that's what you are focused on doing. You're not thinking about much else. Because if you think about anything else, it's going to take up space. It's going to take up, it's going to create that noise that distracts you and takes you out of what you're trying to accomplish. Knowledge of process slash knowledge of performance actually requires more open monitoring. How did I do that thing? Often I get my knowledge of performance slash knowledge of results by watching video feedback because sometimes you're not quite sure what you were doing in the moment. And I will see, oh, I'm doing this interesting thing with my head. The next time I try to perform the skill, in my case, the Aisha football group, I will see what happened. You know, okay, I can now feel. I suddenly have that sensory feedback of this is where I'm holding my head. What happens if I change it? Richardson, if she tries to tinker with her sprinting form in any shape, way, shape, or form, same thing. She might be able to feel in the moment, oh, I did something strange with my right foot. What happens if I do this this way? Will that make me more able to accomplish the task easier? Because at the end of the day, when you're looking at knowledge of performance, I'm about to cough. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. When you're looking at knowledge of performance slash knowledge of process, the entire reason this matters is to make the task easier to do. So if the person doing the pull-up is suddenly able to go, oh, I am not actually pulling down with my hands. I can see it when I watch the video feedback or my coach is telling me I'm not pulling down with my hands. And the next time they try it and there is a change, that makes it easier to get up above the bar, then this becomes interesting. And sometimes the change is a little bit harder for a moment. So even though the task is achieved more readily, the act of doing it is a little bit harder because you're not used to moving your body in that way. But ultimately, it gets you to a place that feels more, where the task feels more readily available. This is what we're trying to do when we learn how to do something. We want to be able to do these things easily, not make them harder. So within the context of learning, let's look at this really quick. I said this earlier, but Richardson had to learn how to run fast before she could learn how to consistently run between 10.71 and 10.76. Before she could focus on her accuracy, she needed to learn how to do the thing. 
I need to first understand how to do a football grip before I could do the Aisha. The person doing the pull-up needed to first learn how, learn how to hold on to the bar before he could begin working on the pull-up. When you're first learning anything, that first step to learning is clumsy. There is a lot of internal noise that occurs as your brain tries to figure out what signals to send to your muscles in order to achieve the task. And this internal noise just means you don't do things in a way that looks smooth or coordinated or that gives you the results that you're looking for. Your sensory input, your sensory feedback is really valuable at this point in time because you'll feel that something feels clumsy. And sometimes you don't know how to change it. And this is where outside guidance can be super helpful. A coach's eye can be really valuable. Saying, well, maybe if you bend your knees more, it'll help. Or maybe if you slide your feet all the way out to the pool before you try to open them, it'll help. Or maybe if you snap your elbow down faster, you'll go forward a little faster. Over time, the sensory feedback and the knowledge of results begins to be more closely matched. You can start to feel that your body is in the position and it's ready to do the task that you want to do. This requires you to be able to focus. It also requires you to be able to observe without judging what you're doing. As your accuracy improves and you become more consistent, it is easier to deserve to, deserve, to observe ooh, how you are doing something and ask yourself, what happens if? What happens if I rotate my body a little bit more? Is my balance better? What happens if I set up with my feet slightly angled on the blocks? Do I come out of them faster? What happens if I take my hands a little bit wider and I pull with my pinky fingers as I pull down? What happens if I let my hands roll against the bar as I bring myself up over the bar? The process of acquiring a motor skill takes a lot of focus and observation. When you focus and observe, what happens? You decrease noise. Remember, which is unwanted distraction. So this whole idea of mind-body movement or mindful movement, if you are working on skill acquisition at of anything, Couldn't we argue that that is a mindful action? 
Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you found that useful. And as always, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me via email or DM. And I will be back next week. I have two fabulous guests coming up, one in two weeks and the other one in about four weeks after that. So look forward to that. That'll close out our season. But until then, I will see you next week. Thank you.